This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I just had my favorite part of every Sunday morning. It's standing out in front and just greeting people as they come. And it's so fun to see person after person pull up in the parking lot, get out of the car, and start walking in. And uh, oftentimes when people ask me, so pastor, what kind of a church is New Life? One of my favorite descriptions is, New Life is a church no one comes to because they have to. The only people here actually really want to be here. And it's just so fun to watch all of you gather, and you got big smiles on your faces. And you're so happy to be here, and I'm equally happy to be here. So uh, we are going to have a fun time this morning. Um, I'm going to ask you to extend some grace to me this morning. And it seems like a church would be a reasonable place to ask for that, right? Yeah. Because... In, we're in this teaching series called The Way of Jesus, and it's a journey through the letter that Paul wrote to the Jesus followers from the church in Ephesus, which was a church he started. And in the section that we're going to be dealing with today, Paul writes directly about three words that are lightning rod topics in our world. And they are unity, diversity, and inclusivity. Have you heard of them? Oh, yeah. And there's this interesting irony that the more we talk about them and the more we promote them, and the more sensitivity training we all get required to go to in our workplaces, seemingly the more polarized our world gets. Have you noticed? Yeah, every study or every statistic that I see indicates that the world we live in is becoming more and more polarized and less and less unified, and we are losing grip on any real concept of inclusivity. So here's the grace I want to ask you, okay? We live in a world of political correctness, in case you haven't noticed. And terms that you could use five years ago, if you use them today, somebody's going to get really mad at you, right? Because they keep changing all the terms. And as a pastor, I love everybody, but I might use a term today that for you is like, if I do, just forgive me, okay? I'm doing my best. I'm trying really hard. And I realize that this topic, there are so many different feelings and so many different opinions about it. And I have prayed all week long that God would speak through me in a way that would help all of us move forward, maybe even potentially out of our comfort zone a little bit, but to be able to do that without offending you. Okay, so will you give me that liberty? 
Yeah, three of you. Will you give me that liberty? Thank you. Thank you. So, I want to begin by talking about God's dream for his church. Some 600 years before Jesus came to our earth, through the prophet Isaiah, God began to reveal what his kingdom would look like. And I want, to, I want us to read one of my favorite descriptions of the kingdom of Jesus as Isaiah laid it out. Isaiah wrote, In the last days, and to all the Jews, they all understood that meant the days of the Messiah. In the days of the Messiah, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills. That basically means it'll be the most important thing on the face of the earth. And look how he concludes it. And all nations will stream into it. God's dream for his church has always been that it would be as diverse as all the people groups in the entire world. That's a big dream. Now, if you fast forward, Jesus has 12 apostles, and long after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and gone back to heaven, one of those apostles, the apostle John, is given a glimpse into the actual um, place of heaven. And he writes about it in the book of Revelation. So in the very end of the book of in the Bible, we find this passage. John says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice. And I want you to understand, they were from every tribe and nation and language and people, but they were all unified in what they had to say. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to Jesus. So Isaiah talks about the dream God has for his church. John writes about the eventual destiny of the church of Jesus. And it's so different from the polarized world we all live in. Where we tend to do more of what Benjamin Franklin said than what Jesus said. Because Je Benjamin Franklin noted, people of a feather, what's the rest of it? Flock together. So we gather in our own little tribes where we're all alike and we are all of the same political persuasion and we're all of the same ethnicity and we're all sometimes of the same gender and sometimes of the same generation. And when we get around people that are enough like us, we feel good. And we form our own little tribe. I think, how different, how completely different 
from God's dream for his church. In this world, where seemingly everyone is preaching diversity and inclusivity, and yet we seem to really struggle to practice it, I have an idea. Maybe it would be a good idea for us to actually listen to what Jesus has to say about that subject. What do you think? Yeah, I think we could learn something. Because it's actually in following the way of Jesus that we can actually bring people together in meaningful relationship where they are very diverse and very different and yet unified and fully included. Wow. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of, the, of Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, and in the first portion of it, he begins to lay out two principles that, frankly, until I did the research for this message, I had never even thought of in this context. Okay? So, here's the first one. Jesus said, you, speaking to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its salty taste, it can't actually be made salty again, and it's actually good for nothing except to be thrown out and walked on. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in the last part of that verse. How about you? I'd soon not be trampled on and useless. So what was Jesus referring to when he said, you are the salt of the earth? Well, here's something we all know about salt. Salt is a flavor enhancer. Salt is used to bring out the flavor God has put into the world's nations. I know one thing you've never had. You might cook a lot of things, but you have never cooked a straight-up salt dish. That would be nasty, wouldn't it? Here, have a bite of salt. No, because by itself... Salt is not really that good. But when you put it with other flavors, it brings the other flavors to the surface and it enhances them. Jesus said, look, you are the salt of the earth. As a church, I want you to learn how to bring out and enhance the flavors in the world. Huh. So I like to smoke meats, and the other day I went into my pantry, and I was going to make a rub uh, to make some pulled pork. So I had a pork butt roast, and I went in, and I pulled out uh, Worcestershire powder. Many of you didn't even know they made it in powder form, right? They do, okay? So I brought out Worcestershire powder. I brought out some smoked paprika, I brought, I brought out some garlic powder, some onion powder, some salt, and some pepper. And I mixed them all together. Now listen, when I did this, I wanted every one of those flavors to bring all of what they had to offer to that rub. I wanted the pepper to be real pepper. 
I wanted the Worcestershire powder to bring the fullness of what it had. I wanted the smoked paprika to bring the fullness of what it had. I didn't want any of it muted. And to make it all even better, I mixed in some salt. And I rubbed down that, that pork butt and I smoked it in the smoker for about 12 hours. And then I pulled it out and I let it rest for a long time and then I pulled it. And we had nasty good pulled pork sandwiches. <laughs> and they had all of that flavor baked into it. Listen, it's important that you and I understand something. Here's how Paul wrote about it. Paul said, look, from one person, God created all the nations throughout the earth. And I want you to know that God is the author of diversity. He loves it. I have a little saying on my desk by Albert Einstein, and it reads like this. Creativity is intelligence having fun. There is no one more intelligent than God, and when he created our world, he had a bunch of fun. He made a world where in some 8 billion people, no one has the same fingerprint. In a world that has trillions and trillions of snowflakes. No two are alike. In a world that has orchids, do you realize God made over 28,000 different varieties of orchids? He clearly loves diversity. And the last thing he wants is a bunch of people trying to all act the same. Listen, this is where it gets a little personal. If God has made you Filipino, be Filipino to your core. Bring it all. Because our world needs it. If God has made you Mexican, be Mexican to your core. Bring it all. If God's made you a Jew, be a Jew all the way to the core and bring it all. If God's made you black, be black and bring it all. Yeah, even if God made you white, bring it all. <laughs> Whatever that is. Because in the church, we don't dumb down anybody's ethnicity and try to reduce everybody to the same bland person. Everybody on board with that? This diversity thing is absolutely fabulous when we get it right. I wanted to make sure we understood what it was. So I looked it up in the dictionary, and here's what it says. The practice or quality of including or involving people from a range of different socio, social and ethnic backgrounds. 
May the kingdom of Jesus be as diverse as the entire world. Everybody on board with that? That's the way it should be. Yeah. But that wasn't all Jesus had to say. Jesus said this just two verses after he said, you are the salt. He said, you are the light that gives light to the world. A city that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. And people don't hide a light under a bowl. They put it on a lampstand so that the light shines for all the people in the house. In the same way, here's our instructions. You should be a light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. Now, we could spend a whole morning just on that, okay? I want to pull one little thing out of that about light, and here it is. Light is for the purpose of illuminating the way out of darkness. That's what we all use flashlights for. None of you hang a flashlight in the center of your room. You have a flashlight because when it's dark, you, you follow the light till you can get to a place where it is light, right? Our world is lost in darkness, groping around, trying to figure out how to do diversity and inclusivity. And the more our world works on it, the more polarized we get. We are clearly walking in the darkness. And Jesus said, you, my followers, are the light of the world. And so, in one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed with his apostles before he was crucified and then was ascended into heaven, here's what he said. Unity was clearly on his mind. He said, I pray that they will all be one. He did not pray that we would all be the same. There's a big difference. That we would all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. And here's the kicker. So the world will believe that you sent me. If we want the world to buy into the Jesus way of life, Jesus is saying to us that you, his followers, need to clearly model from your heart and in your life every form of unity, diversity, and inclusivity. And when we get that right, our message to the world becomes powerful and dynamic. That's how important this is. It's why it breaks Jesus' heart. This is where I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. Are you ready? This is why it breaks Jesus' heart when Christians gather together in little Christian circles and condemn the world and talk about how terrible the world is and form their own little political organizations and try to take over the world through politics. That's not the Jesus way, ever. Hmm. Just as God was the author of diversity, God is also the author of unity. 
And I think it's important that we understand what unity is, okay? Here's the definition, the state of being joined together as a whole. In just a little bit, I'll get into the difference between unity and uniformity because they are vastly different. But if God's the author of diversity and God is the author of unity, then it stands to reason he must also be the author of inclusivity. Yeah. And just so we get it straight and know what we're talking about, here's the definition of inclusivity. The practice of providing equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized. You know what that is? That's the opposite of inclusivity. Okay? It goes on to say, such as those having physical or intellectual disabilities or belonging to other minority groups. Wow. I said all of that so that we would have a backdrop of understanding about what our passage in the book of Ephesians is about today. Because in the world that Paul was writing to, there was a polarization, there was a chasm so deep, nobody ever crossed it. It was between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews ate their own kind of food, had their own kind of dress, had their own kind of worship. Um, they looked different. They wore their hair different. Everything about a Jew was different. And everybody who wasn't a Jew was put in this category of Gentile. And their religion was different. And their foods were different. And their clothing was different. And everything about their culture was vastly different from the Jews. And the Jews and the Gentiles were like oil and water. You get me? They did not mix. And long before Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream. God said, I have a dream. And my dream is that in my kingdom, all nations, Jews and Gentiles included, would stream into it. And they would love each other. And they would care for each other. And they would value each other. So now let's go to this passage where Paul is tackling the great divide between Jew and Gentile. And let's see what the Holy Spirit empowered Paul to write about when he talked about it. Paul said, now don't forget that you Gentiles used to be called outsiders. Is that an inclusive remark or an exclusive? That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? that they called you outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. Compliment? Probably not. Right? By the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision. Please don't ask me to tell you how they were proud of it. <laughs> okay? Okay? But here's what Paul says about it. The unfortunate part is that that circumcision only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In other words, they got something right, but it wasn't the right thing. He goes on to say, in those days, you, you Gentiles, 
we're living apart from Christ. Wow. He goes on to say, you were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world. And friends, this is the statement that breaks my heart. You lived in this world without God and without hope. You know what people are saying about the coming generations? They are the hopeless generation. That's unacceptable. He goes on to say, but now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. He goes on to say, for Christ himself has brought peace. I love that. In this place where there has been animosity and skepticism and suspicion and misunderstanding between Jew and Gentile, Jesus has brought peace. He goes on to say to us, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. That's the stuff that the Jews used to, to completely exclude the Gentiles. They would say, don't you bring that bacon in here. Yeah. We got a law against that. It goes on to say, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two people groups. Together, he goes on to say, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Isn't that a beautiful passage? What a beautiful picture. Now, we could get into all the theology, and there's a ton of theology in that passage, but I want to get into the practical application of what Paul is actually saying. Everything in that passage is built on some basic understandings, and it would be important for us to haul out those basic understandings as we put a bow on this this morning. And I'm going to start with the second bullet point. Unity is more beautiful and healthy for our human spirit than uniformity. Can I tell you that unity is harder than uniformity? Of course it is. But it's actually better for us. And it's more beautiful. 
We live in a world where everybody gets with their own tribe and they shoot at all the other tribes. How's that working out for us? Not very well. Because it's not pretty. And it's not actually good for the human spirit. It's why, among other reasons, there are so many hate crimes in our world all the time. Because uniformity, this practice and process of hanging out with only people who are like me, actually makes us ugly human beings. But learning how to reach across barriers and boundaries to people who are diverse from us actually makes us beautiful. And it's really healthy. Let's take bullet point number one. Unity is impossible without diversity. By definition, you cannot have unity without diversity. Because if everybody in your group is just like you, you don't have unity, you have uniformity. They have to be different for you to have unity. So the more diverse we are, the greater our opportunity is to actually practice unity. And the third bullet point is this. God modeled unity, diversity, and inclusivity by joining himself to us. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit. No, a lot. Years ago, there was a TV show called The Odd Couple. Anybody willing to admit you saw? Oh, look at that, all right? Felix and Oscar, right? If there ever was a Felix and Oscar, it was God and human beings. Talk about The Odd Couple. Here's God who has perfect knowledge, and here are people who stumble in the field of knowledge. Here's God who's never been tempted with sin and has never sinned, and here are people who are tempted every day, and, and we find ourselves giving in often. Here's God who has no form of brokenness in him, and here are people who struggle with brokenness every single day. You get the point? God is so different from us, and yet, God says to human beings, I want you to come and live with me. And actually, I want you to live with me for eternity in my house. Perhaps the greatest single demonstration in the history of the world of diversity, unity, and inclusivity. And now God says, I want you to do for each other what I have done for you. Hmm. Let's go to a second set of basic understandings. Unity, diversity, and inclusivity in our lives and in our church only flow where three great things reign. In other words, these have to be the dominant narratives. And here they are. We honor, respect, and value the sacred personal dignity of every person, no matter who they are. 
lots of sociological studies have been done on people who are in prison and convicted of murder. And what they virtually universally find is this. Human beings find it almost impossible to kill another human being unless in their mind they can dehumanize them. Wow. And once in their minds that person is no longer human, they become expendable. In the church of Jesus, we value the personal, sacred dignity of every human being because everyone has been created in the image of God. Right? Good. Thank you. Somebody back there said that. Right? Absolutely. And that has to be the dominant narrative in the church. Everyone is a child of God. Everyone. No matter what they look like, no matter what they've done, no matter how they smell, no matter where they live. Every human being is a child of the living God. Secondly, we choose to love universally and unconditionally. That's hard. It's not natural. It's more natural for us to love people who are like us, right? Because they've got it right in life. Those other people that are not like us don't have it right yet. That's the poison that actually kills the human spirit. To love universally and unconditionally is the way of Jesus. Name for me one person Jesus didn't love. You can't. Yeah. That's the way of Jesus. And he loved them unconditionally. Name one sin that people did that Jesus said, well, that puts you on my bad list. You're out. No. No. Jesus loved universally and unconditionally. It gets even harder with the next one. We make freely extending our grace to every person our personal way of life. You know, it's one thing for me to love you. It's a different thing for me to extend my grace to you. That's even harder. Name a person that Jesus didn't extend his grace to. Wow. This is, my friends, the way of Jesus. He breaks down the wall of hostility that separates us, that causes us to judge one another. And he calls us to become one beautiful 
diverse, unified, inclusive people that reflect the wonderful beauty of the flavors God put in this world. Here's the truth. Jesus is calling us to swim against the strong and steady flow of at least 5,000 years of all forms of tribalism that dominate the landscape of human history. Read human history. It's filled with tribalism and one tribe trying to conquer another tribe and decimate that tribe and do horrible things to the people of that tribe. You know, 3,500 years ago, there was a guy by the name of Moses. And Moses had a brother Aaron and a sister Miriam. And the Bible says that Aaron and Miriam began to criticize Moses. And they began to say of Moses, you, my friend, are not qualified to lead the nation of Israel. Why? Because you have an interracial marriage. You didn't marry one of our tribe. You're diverse. More pointedly, she's diverse. She doesn't belong here. And you married her, so you don't belong here either. In this story, the presence of God descended like a cloud over Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And the Bible doesn't say what God said. But it was pretty clear when the cloud lifted what he thought. Because when the cloud lifted, Miriam was white with leprosy. God said, that's what I think of that. Now, in his grace, he said to Miriam, I'm going to heal you, but not for seven days. So you're going to live outside the camp of Israel, and you're going to, and you're going to holler, unclean, 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 every time anyone comes near you, and no one's going to hug you, and no one's going to touch you, and you're going to live excluded from this company of people that you wanted to exclude Moses from. Because, Miriam, I want you to know what exclusion feels like. It was just a few generations later, no, earlier, that the nation of Israel was enslaved by the nation of Egypt. And you thought slavery by race was a recent development. No, my friends, it's been around for thousands of years. That's why God calls us to swim against the strong and steady current of every form of tribalism and to be the church that invites everyone in and to love universally and to love unconditionally and to extend grace.
to everyone. I want to read to us how this passage closes in the book of Ephesians. Paul writes and says, together, I love that word, together. We are God's house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone. The most important stone in this foundation is Jesus. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for God. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. May we at New Life be a church that is as diverse as possible, as unified as possible, where everyone is included, where God can live in us by his spirit. I want to pray. Father, thank you so much that you had a dream for your church and we get to be part of that dream. And we get to love universally and we get to love unconditionally. and We get to extend grace to every person. And that's our way of life. And, and we get to guard the, the honor, the dignity, um, and the sacred uh, dignity of every single person that we could be the salt that brings out the flavors of all the variety you put in our world. And we get to be the light that illuminates the path out of darkness into this beautiful place of inclusivity. We recognize, God, that unless you do that in us, we'll be like every other human being. We'll try, but we'll fall way short. So we're counting on you to do in us what we could never do in ourselves. We make ourselves available to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we set up communion, I want to say a couple of things uh, that I say virtually every Sunday. At New Life, communion is open. In other words, anyone who is here you are welcome. You are included in those who can go to the tables and participate. But communion is also optional. We would never want you to feel like you have to go and partake or somehow you're less than anybody else. Jesus himself invites you to the table where the elements on the table represent his body that was broken and brutalized for us on the cross and where his lifeblood spilled on the ground. But this morning, I want us to do it in the special context of what we've been talking about. And I want to point us to a scripture that Paul wrote to the Jesus followers in the area of Galatia. And here's what he wrote to them. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. It's not that they weren't those. It's just that those didn't make any difference anymore. They were celebrated, but they didn't become divisions in the church.
you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to pray a short prayer, and uh, Spike's going to sing a song. I want to invite you, if you want to, make your ways to the, make your way to the table. Everyone is invited because we, my friends, are all one in Christ. Jesus, thank you for breaking down that wall of hostility. Thank you for loving each of us right where we are. Thank you for giving your life for every one of us. We honor you by eating this bread and drinking this cup in your honor. And we pray in your own beautiful name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.